This morning, I I just I want to look at this, the scripture very strictly in Isaiah 41, and and the title. You know, folks, when I prepare sermons, I title them pretty much after I prepare the sermon, rather than take the title and build from there. I go back and, and do it. And this is literally four intimate promises of God for you and me as a believer. And over these last few weeks, and, and all that we've been talking, what we have been doing, a lot of change, a lot of things happening, I said, Lord, open my eyes to, to pro- what, whatever you want me to say to our people right here that will, yes, help us today. And thank God for the Word of God. It is the Word of God. But how can that Word help us here, right now? Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday of that week. And how can you take these four? Because these are intimate promises. I want you to understand that. These promises, though all of God's promises are intimate, I, I understand. But I was trying to make this the title to say what I really had been studying. These are four precious promises of God. And that in this old world, when every time you turn on the news, even this morning, you hear of who murdered who, you know? And you hear of all the unrest, you hear of this world, you hear of sin that is absolutely blatant. And the Bible said that in the days of Noah, so shall the days be when the Lord will return. You know, have we reached those times? I don't know, but I, you know how I feel. I believe we are living on the edge of the edge of the edge of the time. And the Lord Jesus is going to say, come get your bride. You know, and folks, when he comes, Josh, hell, heaven, earth, nobody's going to prevent that. There's not a thing you can do. And if you and this world doesn't know the Lord, wow. I think you know the results of that. But just to realize, and so what do we do? I went back and did some real historical study of looking at the people of the exile and what they faced. Fear, unrest, and frustration have not only become the norm for you and me today and the news media, it's just almost like we say, hey, to turn it on because of the news of doom, gloom, and so much of this these hateful. We've gotten, I mean, we've got horrific crimes are bad enough, but to hear of these hateful crimes to people, the same thing happened to the Jews of Israel right here. All of a sudden, unrest and frustration brought on by one man in the 8th century B.C. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was king of Babylon. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, actually, it's Nebuchadnezzar too, if you want to get really exact about it. But this man was mean. Nebuchadnezzar could almost be compared to the Nero of the first century. He was evil. He's not just downright mean. He was evil. And he, but he was a military genius. And he gloated all the times over his ability to conquer. He wanted Jerusalem. Because it was the surviving capital city of the southern king, kingdom of Judah. 
We know that in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom had come to an end, destroyed by the Assyrians. And now it's 125 years later. We are at 597 B.C. to put the time frame together. Nebuchadnezzar marches on the city of Jerusalem. He takes some, not all of the Jews captive, but 11 years later in 586, Nebuchadnezzar returns to Jerusalem with a vengeance and he totally annihilates the city by leveling and taking the temple rather and taking the remaining Jews into captivity. You ought to look sometime at 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25 about Nebuchadnezzar. The last two chapters of the book of 2 Kings. But then I, I want to show you exactly what's taking place. I've got a map that I want to show you. And I, James, you'll have to help me with the pointer, if you will. Can you do that for me with my finger? Put it on Jerusalem right down there. I always like this. It feels like it's power, you know. There, there it is. There. See, bring it down. Come down some more. Over to your left. Yeah, keep going to your left. There you go. Keep going. One more down. Ah, there it is. Jerusalem. Here is Jerusalem. Now, take it all the way up to Babylonia right here. To your right. Keep going. We didn't rehearse this. Don't worry. You know, keep going down. This is fun. Sounds like, you know, keep going. You're about there, about two inches down to your right. Ah, there it is. This whole darkened section is the Babylonian kingdom. Now, the Assyria, the, 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 to the north, you remember the scripture? Kind of, it's always good to kind of get your bearings, to see where we are in this whole setup. But from Jerusalem to where James has his point right here, right there, is approximately 500 miles. Through rough terrain to get to Jerusalem. And so Nebuchadnezzar was able to come and get to Jerusalem. I don't want to say in a secretive way. He didn't mean to be secretive. He meant to come in and to wipe Jerusalem off the face of the map. And there are people in this world today that are bent on wiping Christians, infidels as they call us, off the face of the map. And then what did he do? He took the Jews captive. For 70 years. Now, let's just kind of bring that for a second home. You're sitting in your house this afternoon. You're minding your own business. You're watching TV. Maybe you've got a cup of coffee. Maybe you just ate a big lunch and you want to take your Sunday afternoon nap. And all of a sudden, guards show up at your house. You can't take a thing with you other than what is on your back, the clothes. Nothing. No makeup, ladies. No other clothes. Guys, no fishing rods. No anything that you might have that you want to prize possessions. And they march you out of your house. And you are taken along with everybody else to some God-forsaken place that you know nothing about. You hadn't done anything. How would you feel? I'd be a little upset. 
But with guns pointing down to you, and in this case spears, you have no choice. You are taken captive. That's what happened to the children of Israel. That's what happened to the Jews. And do you know why it happened? Read the book of Isaiah. Because the children of Israel had turned their backs on God. Now, folks, this old world thinks they can turn their back on God and get away with it. But I'm telling you, folks, there's a day coming where they are not going to get away with it anymore. And Christians are not going to get away with blatant sin anymore. Some people say, well, maybe they'll get their due down the road and whatever. Folks, what does the Bible say? Vengeance is belongs to God, not us. So here is this environment where all, not just one or two, where the entire city. Can you imagine? And they either face death. You know, when Nero in the first century, he, he did a thing called emperor worship. He made you bow down to him. And when you, you had to say, Curios Caesar, Lord Caesar. If you said, Curios Jesus, Lord Jesus, you signed your death sentence. Click. Sometimes, I don't know if we, it's hard for all of us, any of us, to really grasp the horror that took place when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took Jerusalem. The name Isaiah means what? Yahweh is salvation. I love it. In his message to the people, what Isaiah writes is that God forgives people, God restores, but you, we must learn to trust God. He'll protect us. He will not fail them. He will work miracles. And so into that hellish time for the people and children of Israel, God commissions Isaiah to write one, all those verses, but one specific verse, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And in that verse, there are four promises that he gives the people. Now, I hope by setting this up like I've done, you will see the gravity of these four promises. That's why I use the term intimate. God promises. God, he's, he's going to fulfill every promise he makes. But these four promises to the children of Israel in exile in Babylon. Look at the scripture. Very beautiful, incredible words. We've got it on the screen. Do not fear. Now, first, let me ask you something. Somebody came to your house, like I said, would you fear? Would anybody be afraid of this? Of course. And now the very first words out of the mouth of Isaiah are from the pen of Isaiah. Don't fear. I'm going to show you in just a minute in the Hebrew. That word in the Greek language, the Greek writing of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, this word fear, Yahweh, is actually going to be translated as phobeo, where we get our word fear. And folks, it means scared stiff. I'm just telling you. It just means scared. I don't know how. So he says, you know, we read this, don't fear. And, I, and I'm sure the Jews says, uh-huh, yeah, tell me about it. Uh-huh. Lord, you had, no, you're not down here yet. You don't know what I'm going through. Why are we not to fear? Because I'm with you. 
Do not be afraid. This is a different word in the Hebrew. I'll show you in a minute. For I am your God. And he says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Now, in your outline, I've got these promises, these four promises, divided into two sections. And here's what I want you to do. Right up in that first section... It's right there, right under the scripture. It says two lines and then promises. I want you to write the word, I am promises. Just write the word, I am promises. The reason I call them this is because that's exactly what the Lord says through Isaiah. That these are the I am promises. And there are two of them. And here's the first one. And you just keep following me right down there. There's not a whole lot to fill in this time around. But I want you to get this. Like never before, folks. Because I think the devil is on a rampage to make God's people fear and fear and fear. Do not fear. That's the first one. Don't fear. Now... What Isaiah did is he used specific words in the Hebrew. The word for fear, I've got on the screen, and I just transliterated I wrote it in English so we could pronounce it. Yare, Y-A-R-E. Sounds nowhere near what we pronounce as fear. But let me tell you, you know, sometimes you think these words are kind of, you know, in Hebrew, trust me, most of them are not, you know. But the, the word in Hebrew means it can mean to, be, to revere, reverence, yes. But in its context as well, it can also mean, and right here it does, it means to frighten, it means to be afraid, it means to dread something. And I, as I read that definition, I kept thinking of the children of Israel. They were afraid. God says, I have the power and will protect and provide for you. And for those people that were in exile, that was a wonderful assurance to all believers. When we sense that we fail the Lord or we fall short of the glory, Israel had failed and the Lord repeatedly, and they, they miserably disappointed God. But what did God do? He never stopped loving them. He never stopped reaching out to them. They were oppressed, not only by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians, but by all the surrounding nations who preceded those two world empires. They suffered continual hardship and domination from literally a stream of tyrants down through, all because of their sin. This world has got to understand the horror of sin. We coined that phrase, the little white lie. Y'all, that's sin. Amen? That's sin. We've got, in Isaiah's day, few of the Jews, though, genuinely trusted the Lord, and few of them lived righteous lives, that's for sure. Most were living in unbelief, they were rejecting God, they were engaging in sinful, unrighteous behavior, but yet the Lord did not turn His back on them, He reached out to them, and God caused Isaiah to give strong encouragement and hope to the people. Okay, guys, you've blown it, you've messed up, you've sinned, but the first thing I want you to hear from me is do not fear. 
Why? That's the second question. And that's in your outline. Okay. I hear what you're saying, Lord. But, you know, I just got uprooted. And we're in this 70-year time span, though they didn't know it would be 70 years at that time. They're in the middle or wherever they are in, in, in all the, the, the captivity. And now they are faced with, okay, why? And you know what the Lord says? He says, I am with you. Do not fear, because I am with you. Folks, I'm with you in your fear. I'm with you in your frustration. I'm with you in your selfishness. I'm with you in your indecisiveness. The Jews felt alone. They really felt abandoned by God because of their sin. They realized now what they had done. But now what was God doing? He was showing grace to Israel. They deserve separation from God and death and hell itself. But God. Changed all that. You and me today are in captivity of sin. All of us in this room, you know, we deserve death and hell. But I look over this room, and to my knowledge, we're all believers in this house. Thanks be to God who saved us. Some at a young age, some at middle age, some at old, old age. I don't know. But we are saved by the grace of God. Amen. So the first thing the Lord says, don't fear. Why? Because I am with you. Now, I tried all the way in the world to look back in this, and especially I am, to go back to Genesis and Exodus and to go back and look at the burning bush and just to see if that I am could be in some way a reference to the very ego I me in the Greek Septuagint, I am the name of God, Yahweh, the Y-H-W-H, Tetragrammaton. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. I tried every way I could do, but folks, we have to be careful. As theologians, we have to be careful as pastors and preachers that we don't eisegete Scripture. And that may be a new word for some of you. Exegete means you take it verse by verse by verse by verse. If you eisegete Scripture, you make the verse say what you want it to say. Don't be very careful. Don't ever eisegete. Well, I could end up doing that if I am not careful. And we have to be very, very careful to understand. So I tried my best to eisegete that, to make it say, this is a reference to I am. Whoa, it's not. Why? Because the language that that Isaiah uses in the personal way, I love it. The language is, he's not up here on the stage telling you that. The language of Isaiah here is he's right down here with Natalie and Teresa, and he tells them, hey, y'all, I love y'all. Amen. Come on, Pastor. You know, I'm with you. You you see what I'm saying? He's not up here saying, hey, I love you. I'm with you. Don't worry about that. I'll be with you no matter what. Heavens no, man. He comes right to you. That's the language you've got to see in the Hebrew. This is very intimate. He says, you don't have to be afraid. i got Nebuchadnezzar taken care of. Folks, 
of August the 7th, 2016, God says, don't you fear, because I'm here. I've got everything taken. You may think it's a mess. You may think there is no hope, but you forget I am the hope. Wow. Hope that gives you some strength. Does me. Does me. Today when you leave, I've actually printed these four scriptures on a little card you can stick up on your um, dresser or wherever you want uh, that you can refer to them. Because I tell you, I believe if we live by these four little scriptures right here and these four promises, it will absolutely change your life in a daily way. If you would like them, they're here for you to pick up on your way out. Let me tell you the second one. That's the second of the I am. The second of the I am is simply this. He said, don't fear. And then he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, Randy, I thought fear and being afraid, that's pretty much the same word. Well, it might be in English, but it's not the same word in Hebrew. And this is where you got to see the difference. The word in Hebrew here for be afraid is not yare. It is the word, and the best way to do it is just to translate it, is to pronounce it, is to write it like we pronounce it, sha'ah, S-H-A, and I put a hyphen with it, ah, sha'ah. Again, sounds nothing like fear. Well, but the, the basic idea of sha'ah is to look with interest on something. It's never casual. It's not a disinterested glance. It is a focus, it is an implication to inspect, to consider, to be compassionate, to be, it can, it can refer to even being dismayed. It can be seen as looking at something with approval, like God approved of Abel, but not of Cain. And the word, though, however, the bottom line, it means to look anxiously about, almost to the point of paranoia. It's like this. Don't be afraid. People, some are all, sometimes we're looking over our shoulder. And the Lord's saying here, he just told you not to be afraid. Don't fear. But now he says, don't let that fear absolutely overwhelm you. Make sure you kill it. I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. Let that kill that fear. But be very careful. Don't do this. You know, there are people, we have a name for it in the mental illness world, where people are so paranoid about things, about somebody going to get them, or about a disease going to infect them, to the point. That's what this word means. Sha'a. Don't walk around every day of your life in fear. Because the power that's in you is God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a power, a spirit of what? Power. So don't be afraid. Have sha'ah. Don't look around like this, as the Hebrews say. This word that looks around, you see what I mean? It's not the same word as Yahweh. Yahweh is just scared stiff. I mean, I'll be honest with you. But sha'ah is a word that makes you you're just always looking. It, don't allow fear to pollute everything you see and do. And then there's that second question here. And it's the word, and I put it up here right under here. Why? 
All right, you told me not to be afraid. Now you're, I mean, you don't, don't fear. Now you're telling me not to be afraid. Now here is something that I'm going to tell you what, strap on. I love this. I love this. For God, the Bible says, as I just said in 2 Timothy 1 7, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of one of power and love and sound mind. The, the third part of the, the why of this is very simple. It's an I am promise. And so the C part of your outline, if you'll just fill that in with me, I got the I am. Well, you put I am there. I have it filled in for myself. But I am, there it is on the screen. And right after that, I've got the Greek word, ego I me. Hey, folks, that's in there. That's in the Septuagint. It was not in there in the previous one. I went back and looked. I wanted to be sure that what I'm about to tell you is right. And why is it different from the other? God's talking to you personally in the other. Don't you fear. But folks, this second time around, He is telling you not to be afraid because I am is in the house. Makes a big difference. This one is a reference to the burning bush, to the great I am. And he's saying, don't you look around like this. Don't you let Satan tear you to pieces that you think your life's going to crumble tomorrow and that you think all the bad stuff is just going to destroy you. You're more powerful than that. You have the ego I am in the Greek. You have the I am. And then it says, I am your what? God. There are a bunch of names for God. Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the name I am. That word is not used here for God. There's other words, but in particular there is a word called Elohim. Elohim. Hebrew is written from right to left, back to front. Best way to describe it to you. Elohim is E-L-O-H-I-M. Now that quite didn't look like English to you, but... Trust me. And on the end of this word in the Hebrew, here's the the Aleph, and, and here's a Hirik, Yod, and here's the last letter, Maim. Hirik, Yod, Maim. Whenever in the Hebrew you have a Hirik, Yod, Maim. Maim, the M sound looks like, a, looks like a box. Right there, I'm seeing this, believe it or not, in front of me. And you, you see it. When you have the Hirik, Yod, Maim, it makes that word plural. It's the same thing as adding an S in English. So the word Elohim could actually be translated as God's. Now hang on, strap in, it's okay. The Hebrew people had a beautiful way of understanding Yahweh God. They referred to him as Elohim. Why? You've got to understand, folks, this was a polytheistic world. They had a God for this, a God for that, a bigger God for this, another God for this, little G-O-D, little God. You see what I mean? For everything. And what, the, what, what Isaiah is saying, and what the very name Elohim means is that God is God. God is I am. He is greater. He is God. He's not those little gods that you've built and put all around wherever you are. He's God of this universe. And the Bible Bible says that this God I am is right with you. That's why I call them, and I don't have to call them, they're there, the I am promises. Can you imagine what the Bible says? Don't fear, for I'm with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. Now, 
Go back to the connotation. Go back to the, the situation in the life. Wouldn't that just excite you to no end to hear that? I hope it excites you now to hear it. And I hope you'll take these, and if you don't, you just write them out and put them up somewhere. Because I'm telling you what, you're going to wake up on days and you're going to say, Boy, today's a battle, Lord. It's going to be a rough day. It's going to be a battle. Please help me not to fear. Why? Because I know you're not going to leave my side. You're in my heart. You're right with me. You're going to give me the strength. And don't let me walk around and be paranoid and be taken back with fear. Because I am is with me. Folks, if we could get in our minds and our hearts this, we could scare the devil straight back to hell. Wow. Second. Now, on your outline right here, the second part, y'all can't, I got you, but you can see it on your outline. The pro, it, right, I will. The second part of this is the I will promises. The I will promises. You know, I am as I am, but now God says, let me just tell you, folks, don't you forget. Don't fear, for I'm with you. Don't be afraid, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Here's the first of the I will. It says this. What's it say? I will strengthen and help you. How much? If nobody in this house needs to hear that, I do. I'm going to preach this part for me. Y'all listen if you like, but this is for me. I will strengthen and help you. The word strengthen in your outline is the word ames. Some scholars and true, some Hebrew words can pronounce so many different ways. And some use A-W sound, ames. But it's, it's either way. It, we won't deal with straws here. It just, it means the word strengthen here. The AMS means to be alert. It means to be physically alert, ready to go. But it means to give you courage. It means to give you good courage, strong, fortified, prevail, be alert, be solid, be hard, be stout. You get the message of what strengthen here. It's, it's not talking about muscles. It's talking about the inner strength of God, the mental strength. What's God saying? I'm going to give you courage. Now you just sit there. Just look at this. Nebuchadnezzar could kill you at any moment. And God says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you courage. To know that God gives me that kind of courage. He's not only with me, but he's putting, now watch this. He's put, this is a God, let me tell you this. Well, don't forget this, friend. The word is, means godly courage. Godly, it is a gift from God. A human can't give you a mess. Only God can. So God is saying in this third promise, I am giving you courage. If you had a rough week, if you had a good week, if you got bad news, if you got good news, if stuff is just going all over your mind and heart right now, you're confused, you, you, you're whatever. And folks, we do, we're human. Then God is saying, guess what? I've got something for you. I'm S. I'm going to give you courage. And it's there. Well, that might be close to shouting ground for us. I'm telling you, you know, just 
you know, to hear that. No matter what we face, no matter what we don't understand, no matter what we say, no matter who's president, God has not left His throne room. He is eternal God, and He will bring to His people a mess, just like He did in the 8th century B.C. I read this about Nebuchadnezzar, and folks, as I sit there and read in Second Kings, and I read the story, and I read what it says, it's almost a parallel of where we are right now. Read that. So just sit on those in Second in those last two chapters. It'll blow you, blow you away. The word now for help. Strength, strength is ames. The word for help is, an, is, is another word, and we pronounce it azar, A-Z-A-R. You know, there's a word that if I go down here to Josh, and Josh is having trouble getting up off the, the bench, you know, some of us, and I'm one of us, we, it takes us a minute. But if I help old Josh, and I get him up, just like oh, you stand up, see, I help him. He can't get up anyway, I have to help him, you know. That's not a czar. Do you know that? I just helped him. But that's not the word that's used here. It's not the word that God says, hey, I'm going to help pick you up. Hang on. Now, wait a minute, don't, don't go with me on that thing. That word in its connotation and what it says in the Hebrew, it means, it means to surround. It means to protect. It, it is another, it's another one of those godly words. Yes, I'm not going to azar Josh, but you know what I'm going to do for Josh and for all you and what you can do? I could stand him up like this, come back with me, and we pray. That is a czar. See the difference? It's not helping somebody off the bench. It's praying for them. It's getting close to them. It's saying to them, I'm going to help you. Now, you just look at that in terms of the people of the children of Israel. You look at what's happening. They're terrified. Folks, they're scared to death. Who wouldn't be? And God comes to them through Isaiah, and he says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to, quote, azar you. God says, I'm coming, and I'm going to wrap my arms around you, and I'm not going to let you go. If you're going through something in your life right now and you feel all alone, you're scared, you're terrified, you don't know where to turn, everything's going wrong, or everything's going right, I don't know. You just remember what God said He was going to do in this promise. I'm going to I'm going to wrap my arms around you, and I'm not going to let you go. And I'm going to prove to you that He tells you He's not going to let you go. And then he, he, he does his third word right here. And I, 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 think I, I think you got the point, but I missed it in the last one. Write the word you. Didn't I put that up there? I think James, the next one. Yeah. See, everything's intimate. Everything, and I think I forgot that the last time, but I made my point. Everything is intimate. Everything is toward you. It's, look, it's as though you're the only one on the face of the earth, and God is writing this just for you. Which leads me to say one thing. Do you know if you were the only person ever to be born... If you were the only person ever to live on the face of this earth, now hold on. God would have sent Jesus to come and die for you, just like he did for the billions and billions who live, have lived, or ever will live. Isn't that exciting? That's agape. That's God's you. That's who you are. So I will strengthen you. I'm going to help you. And then the second promise, or really the fourth one, but in the I will promises. I love this one. He says, I will hold on to you. 
I love the Holman right here. They, they translate, I love the translation, and it's so true. The word to hold on right under that in that first part of your outline means to, to come and grab and not let go. When I met this lady right here and I married her, I can, you got to stand up. Oh, you're taking notes on, on hubby's sermon. That's pretty good. I've taught her well. But you, I'll excuse us for just a minute. I can hug her and not let her go. I can't do this to you other ladies, but I can to her. You know, this kind of thing. But I guess I better go on and preach the sermon. Well, no, y'all, excuse me. Hang on just a minute. You know, are you trying not to hug me any longer? You know, just, just, it's, you just trying to let me, you know, and whatever. Okay. Good, good. Well, no, I'm mad. Still got to hug you. You see what I mean? You're going to have a hard time getting rid of me because i got to preach the rest of this sermon. You see what I mean? <laughs> That's the word in Hebrew. God says, I'm going to hug you and hold on to you. You're not going to let me go. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go. You might try to sit back down. I knew she would. But I'm going to hold on to her. And not, God says, I'm going to hold on to you. And I'm not going to let you go. I am not going to. You're just, it's going to blow you away. I am going to make sure you know my presence. He is going to be there with you. I'm going to fill you with joy. That's what that word means. Hold on. That's why when I went down to Josh and I helped him like I did in terms of praying with him, the further part of this, God says, I'm going to put my arms around you and I am never going to let you go. I'm going to hold on to you. Now, how is he going to hold on to you? And the last part of this, it says this, and James put that second one up there. The word righteous. The word righteous is the word sedek in Hebrew. And he talks about the righteous right hand of God. In, in, in Jewish history, you, the place of honor was the right hand. It was the hand of power. They did a bunch of studies years ago and how they figured this out. They could do it. I don't know. And, but they talked about it's always the right hand. It's the right hand of power in the physical body. Most of the time, and a lot of people, we are right-handed. It becomes that strength. There are others who are left-handed. That's fine. It's not a problem. They just, over the years and over the centuries, chose to use the right hand because the right hand became the powerful hand. And you remember James and John at the table? Remember that? And mama comes up to Jesus, hey, Lord, when you come to your kingdom and you set it up on this earth, don't forget, my boys, in particular John, let him sit to the right, the place of honor, yes, but the place of power, the right hand. And so he is going to hold you up like I held on to Connie right here a minute ago. What he's holding on to, and that's a physical hold, you know. God's hold on you is with his righteous right hand. Let me explain that. The only way you're going to get into heaven is by the righteous right hand of God. This is beyond the cross. When Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, he took every sin for you and it was nailed to a cross. He rose from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of his father. Something incredible happened. The righteousness of God was now given to you if you would accept it. So if you've come to the place in your life that you know for certain that you have had, you have eternal life, that you've invited Jesus Christ in your life, at that moment what happened to you, the Lord said His blood covered you from the top of your head to the bottom of the soles of your feet. We have a big theological word right there. We call it atonement. Another word that we could use that correctly describes it is righteousness. God has covered you with his righteousness. Why? It covers your sin. 
God cannot look upon sin. Now you just hold, you sit there with that for just a second. But now God has covered you with his perfect blood, completely engulfed you in a circle now to the point that that blood, as 1 John 1, 9 says, has cleansed you from all your sin and all your unrighteousness. And as a result, you are spiritually clean. When you stand before God at the gates of heaven, if there's a gate, I don't know, I haven't been there yet. But when you stand before God at the gate and the Lord basically says, why should I let you in? You don't have a leg to stand on, folks, other than that right there, the empty cross. And Jesus is going to come and stand along beside you and he's going to say, this is my child. This is our kid. This is our son, Father. And the Lord is going to look at you. All that sinful crud, all that mess in our life. And he's not going to see that. He's going to see righteousness of God that has covered you. Oh, I can't wait. He's going to hold on. That's why the Bible says nothing, the Satan, the demons of hell, nothing is going to snatch you out of my hand because I'm going to hold on to you. Yes. Don't fear. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Let me close with this. A little girl and her father were returning from a funeral of of their mama and the man's wife. And some kind neighbors had invited them to spend a few days with them. So he wouldn't be alone in the house and all the sad memories and everything. However, the father decided that it would be better to go straight home. And and that night, the father placed his little girl's bed next to his, but neither of them could fall asleep. And, And finally, the little girl said, Daddy, it's dark. I can't see you. I mean, you're there, aren't you, Pop? I mean, you you hadn't left. You're there. And that sweet daddy said, yes, sweetheart, I'm right here next to you. Let's go on to sleep. The little girl finally dropped off to sleep. And in the darkness and the deep sorrow and amidst all the tears of that that morning father, he cried out to God and he said, oh, heavenly father, it is so dark. And my heart is overflowing with sorrow. But you are there. You are there. And immediately a scripture came to his heart, that daddy. And here's what that scripture said. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. And I'll hold on to you. With my righteous right hand. In the midst of change, folks, in the midst of so much, in the midst of this world the way it is, take these four promises with you. May you be encouraged today. May you be built up. God doesn't want you to have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for encouraging us today. I can only imagine what it would have been like for the children of Israel in those 70 years. And then to get this message from Isaiah. A message that those folks needed to hear what you would do. And the message was clear. And Father, I have done the best I know how to make it as clear and to illustrate it as best I can to get the exact same message of what Isaiah meant, what you mean for us today. Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask for your heart. We ask for what breaks your heart to break ours. We ask that what makes you joyful and excited and overwhelmed would do the same for us. But thank you, Lord Jesus, for just giving us today these four intimate promises for every believer. So, Lord, we just come, just like the book says and the song says, just like we are. And that's how we close it out today, Father. We just give you our lives. This week, there are going to be situations where maybe we're going to see the need of one of these scriptures, or maybe all four in our life. And may we find strength from this day of of coming in and singing, I'll fly away. Blessed assurance. And then reading four incredibly powerful promises that we can use and do right now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Stand to your feet. Jimmy's going to lead us. You know that. Just as I am, would you stand to sing that as we close? Perhaps something, a time of prayer, whatever you need, I want you to come. Josh is with me, and he and I will be down front if you need us. We want you to come as we close right now. Jimmy? Yeah.